So guys, it's uh, that time of the week again. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Kickabout. Um, I suppose all the talk this week has been about the potential of a European Super League. Um, I suppose as well, the last cup, the last 48 hours since, since Sunday has been a bit of a nightmare for football fans, has been a bit um, very emotional, has been very depressing at times. Um, but it seems like the right kind of outcome has, has has come from it. But what we'll do is obviously welcome back um, O'Hara to the podcast, Shane, Donica, and Eno as well. Um, we might just get straight into it, lads, and just ask your views and opinions on everything in the last 48 hours from when the, the news initially broke to the developments, because so much has changed um, since Sunday. Um, and pretty much every couple of hours, it seems like news is breaking. But I might just start with, with you, Shane. Um, what was your feelings? What was your thoughts initially? Um, obviously, um, you are a Man United fan. So if you want to talk to us from from, from that perspective. Yeah, well, I suppose we've kind of heard murmurs or rumours about happening for so long that even when it got announced or leaked on Sunday, you kind of just still thought, oh, they're just putting it out there, they're testing the water, see what's going to happen. But then as the hours tick by, it was like, I can't believe this is actually happening. And it was embarrassing. It was like, it made me angry. And and then, you know, full circle, you kind of, you kind of felt proud. And then I've completely gone back on myself in the last few hours or 12 hours and don't feel proud at all I just again I feel completely embarrassed and yeah as a Man United fan I just it's just left a real sour taste in my mouth and that's going to probably take a long time you know not from the players I'm like the players stood up but yeah kind of makes you look at yourself a bit as a fan of one of these big clubs and what does it mean even you know yeah, um, Ian, we might just continue just while we're on, on Man United. Um, what was your feeling towards the club, towards the owners? Um, did you com- contemplate potentially not un- unfollowing Manchester United, a team that you followed for, for so many years? Yeah, I mean, you can joke about it. I mean, at the time, it's just pure outrage and nobody nobody can fine-tune their outrage it was all or nothing you either completely went mad or you just didn't react to it at all and I mean as Shane said it's been hinted for so long that you think you'd be kind of prepped for something like that being announced and then it does come true and you, you just see the extent of just how negative the whole thing was like it's it's just bizarre to think about at the very very start when it's announced you nobody ever put it into perspective from the very start as soon as you saw that sky sports announcement that it was manchester united it was liverpool it was chelsea arsenal etc it wasn't it was not joel glazer john henry it wasn't any of their names mentioned it was clubs straight away your negativity is aimed towards the club as a whole, which isn't isn't fair. It was six, if we're specifically talking about the English clubs here, it's six people who dragged this whole thing through the muck. And that's just the way it is. And again, I suppose afterwards, we saw the likes of Henderson and Shaw and Maguire and things like that come out. But it's hard to imagine 
how those six individuals and obviously the other the other ones in the other leagues thought that this would ever be viable not communicating down through the lines of staff or players or anything like that not bringing it to anyone's attention and just sitting behind the scenes thinking all right yeah we'll set this up and we'll we'll make our millions and everyone will follow suit because we are the big six in air quotes i suppose the whole thing was just a farce like it was there, there's there's no real words to explain it. I'm absolutely delighted the arse fell out of it now. But I mean it's been a it's been a dramatic 48 to 72 hours really when as a football fan. From a Liverpool perspective, O'Hara, um obviously we'll get your views as well, but we might just touch on um obviously Klopp coming out, James Miller coming out doing interviews, and they were the kind of, and Bamford as well, I suppose, they were the first kind of batch of, of players to be interviewed after the, the announcement broke on, on Sunday. Do you want to just share your views on that, O'Hara? Yeah, like, they were put in such a difficult position. Like, you feel so sorry for them at the time because, like, it's such a disgraceful situation that they were put in by the owners of their club. Like, the owners have gone behind everyone's back and be like, Sorry, lads. Yeah, we think this is great because we're going to get billions out of this. And like the, the likes, like the club and players, they had a match to prepare for, and they wake up then that morning to this news, or like had they been up and they seen it the previous night. And the, the owners, like obviously it was twelve clubs, but like the Liverpool owners would know, like Liverpool have a match tonight, and Liverpool staff and players are going to have to be in front of cameras and they're obviously going to be asked about this and they haven't even been briefed or like they said they saw the same thing we did in the news um so like like that obviously when you know Klopp is going to have to do a pre-match and post-match interview as a fan and obviously we were so furious at the time you're like I hope he comes out and he absolutely throws the owners under the bus and he's like this, I've no interest in it. Like at the same time, he only had as much information we did, so like he kind of had to say as much as he could. And in fairness, he said what he could. Like he said, you know, he didn't backtrack on the fact that he had said in 2019 that he wasn't a fan of it. Um, you know, he said that not my my opinion still hasn't changed, but for the fact that like through the whole thing, obviously it's relatively resolved like from the English team's point of view at this stage but like the first any of us ever heard from any of the owners was this morning like the following morning after the clubs had pulled out or were saying they were going to pull out like the people who were actually put in front of cameras and had to come up with some sort of a statement were the players and the manager which was just such a ludicrous situation to put them in yeah yeah, and, and before we go on to um, before we go on to the, the statements that were released by the, the owners, Dunica, might just ask you how worried were you come Sunday, Monday that this could actually happen, or did you always kind of deep down believe that it wouldn't happen? And as, as Ian described, that the, the arse would fall out of it at, at some stage along the line, or um, or were you genuinely worried? Yeah, so initial response was was total bewilderment, shock. Um, obviously, found it very upsetting and kind of, I've been pretty vocal in certain digital spaces already this week as it was unfolding. I was 
I was speaking, you know, on a public forum on Sunday night about it. Um, I said on Sunday that I, when we all agreed that this was got, this was a power play. This was designed to undermine UEFA launching the Champions League. This was, um, so now it's so hilariously naive. Like this is like the most incompetent embarrassment of like powerful people that I can. I can ever remember like Florentino Perez goes on Spanish TV the other night and it's so embarrassing the shit that he's coming up with like where are you getting your research that you oh 16 to 24 year olds let's shorten games like what are you talking about like it's kind of life-affirming to your own intelligence when you realize that people can be worth billions and still be dumb as fuck you know and just not appreciate like not how can you read the room so badly? It, honestly, it's like some guy rocking up to a bar mitzvah and he starts making Holocaust jokes. Read the room, lads. Like, this was never going to happen. So from that standpoint, I I, I didn't think at, at any stage, I thought this was not going to happen the whole way. And then I woke up on, was it maybe Monday? And there was talk of the contracts are signed. This is legally binding. We're pressing ahead. So the rumor... The rumor mill, like I was treating it like a like a, a transfer window in that uh, don't know, uh. and then the fact the contract was signed and Miguel Delaney um, is saying like I know football, he knows it better than us. This is going to happen. There's going to be huge fallout. But Miguel Delaney said on second captains on Monday that it was going to happen, and they had him on again today, and he's like, well, I, you know, uh, uh, Ken Early said not in a million years, and I was totally with Ken Early. So it's t- it's not all is well that ends well for, as a fan yeah like I was absolutely willing to walk away from Liverpool because if that Super League happened that football club is now a different entity it's a different thing if they're not competing for European Cups well then the club has died it, I think maybe a little bit aligned to the, the the FC United of Manchester movement that happened when the Glazers took over and now I have an insight into what they must have felt at the time but yeah like it hasn't happened it was the most it's the worst thought out most embarrassing fucking proposal like you absolute idiots and we all get to, we all got to see it play out in on live tv like this put game of thrones to shame in how dramatic it was and how it evolved and how chelsea chelsea are leaving now man city are leaving liverpool united are going to be left now we're hearing these other crowd are leaving psg told them to fuck off it was just like it was like six people against the world and everybody is just pointing and laughing at them when they realized that that when Boris Johnson says you're not going to get any any uh, any finance for security for match days you're not going to get any work permits these guys must have just shot themselves i think that was the turning point when the uk government was like nah never happening that was it that was that was and as much as i like hate Boris Johnson and his Brexit here and the fact he's a he's a Tory scumbag like weirdly it was his what he said I think that was the the turning point that was the big turning point yeah um like to even just listen to all of us at at the start you can you can feel the emotions you can feel the upset the kind of trauma that we've all been put through as, as as football fans and at the end of the day it was football fans that potentially prevented this um, European Super League from going ahead. But obviously a couple of us touched on already the the statements from from the owners. But uh, Ian, I might just come to you first on on the Glazers um, 
statement or apology in inverted commas um what did you make of it do you think it's sincere genuine um take it away you know you're not you'd be naive to fall for a word of it even john henry's was verbal and it's impossible to believe them you look at every one of them the money they had to push this through you know that's what they're about is just the money this whole crack of apologies pr stunts and everything like that they'll just pass that on to whoever's there that can make them look better and right now, these apologies have literally just come from them and they've realised, oh shit, we've made a monumental mistake here and we're going to be on the back foot for a long time to come. How can I make myself look remotely sorry? I don't feel it, but I want to come across that I do. The clubs are, are businesses to them. They don't, from an outside perspective, they don't understand the history of all these clubs. They don't see what it means to fans. They don't see what it means to even some of the players. We've always known that money was ruling football and this whole Super League announcement just felt like the final nail in the coffin that we were right. That all this talk of Neymar's big, I know PSG didn't go into it, but these big 200 million transfers, these 80 millions for Maguire's, the 100 millions for every odd player. It was always tipping over the edge and then this Super League came along and that was the straw that broke the camel's back and everybody just fought back against it don't fall for the apologies it's not over I mean just as I as before we came on the Sky Sports News announcement that I was telling you is broke about executives being told to stand down from their positions in the Premier League you know that's another story in itself now that has to develop over the next couple of weeks like, Joel Glazer made a statement today behind pen and paper, behind the screen, behind all the digital outlet. Not once did he come out. Like, to me, the man is still invisible since he took over the club. I don't even know if he's real. There's a photo there that comes up of him every now and again, and you're thinking, that could be anyone. Like, he does not speak. He still doesn't speak. Ed Woodward got the boot last night. Grand from a United perspective, I'm happy he got the boot, but he's also going to be considered the fall guy. You know, he did take a role in this new Super League, but he's not in the bracket of the six we're calling that drove it. That's that's the Glazers. And it's just these these apology statements are just they're not even worth the paper they were initially written on or the laptops they were written on. I think there's a commonality um, across all of the statements and apologies. You know, in the Wolf of Wall Street, when he goes, when Leonardo DiCaprio goes into the penny stocks yeah. and he's got all the lads around the table and he's on the phone to a client and he's like, listen, this is a great tech company. Just give me some, you know, 10 grand, whatever. Sound fair enough? And he gives yeah. him the finger. That is the level of sincerity that is level that, that, that Henry has, has uh, portrayed, that Glazer has portrayed. And like the thing with Henry is fair play to John Henry for, I give him a little bit of credit in terms of he took sole responsibility. I will give him a slight bit of credit with that because that is him telling the truth and that is him just owning up to being a scumbag. But this is him, oops, I got caught. He probably turns around to his wife and he goes, Jesus, our customers aren't happy, fucking dickheads, you know? Um, and I, I'd like, I, I want them out now. I've been, 
I've been an FSG supporter because it's hard not to be when I myself and O'Hara will remember vividly uh, Hicks and Gillette, no idea about football, which ironically is the exact same situation here, but nearly nearly ended the club and apparently we were very close to going under. The, um, John Henry comes in, buys us for a snip, like 350 million, now worth 2.5 billion. So he got a bargain and we got loads of success. Bought players, gave new contracts, stadium development, trophies, Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp, the best coach in the world, pretty much. And we got him, you know, so, but they totally duped me. It's all, it's all irrelevant now compared to, to this carry on. And they just, none of these guys ever learned from their mistakes, which is what amazes me that if you're high performing in any pursuit, in order to get there, you have to make mistakes, but you have to learn from them. This is the fifth time that John Henry's had to apologize for some shit. Whether it was ticket prices, furloughing staff, they tried to trademark Liverpool. They tried to trademark the city's name. And it was just like, here you go. Oops, sorry. Yep. What about, oops, sorry. What about, and this one is just the Mac Daddy of it. So don't believe them. Get them out. That is the next step to all this. And the problems still exist with, with money in football. They are chronic, but at least we still have fair competition on the pitch, at least for now. Yeah, like if, if you're looking at like even Shane and Gazdale, right? Yeah, Man United. We're here and we're going to spout like Glazer out, you know, they're rats, they're this and that and the other. But how do you solve the problem? Like, we're going to stand here giving out about them. Is anyone going to want to, I suppose, in air quotes, step in if we did manage to get rid of them? Like, under the stadium now, I reckon they'd be in trouble. I genuinely think the, the anger is so vigorous right now with the support that like fair play like I never thought I'd say them like fair play to the Chelsea fans you know turning up last night and actually like literally putting a physical presence there to make a statement and um, not to go back too much on the Glazers but like his statement today he's never done an interview since he's been at Man United about the club he said in his statement today Oh, I'm going to work hard to rebuild the trust. Fuck off. You have no trust. You've been with the club for 16 years. All you've done is take dividends. There is no trust to rebuild. There was no trust in the first place. Everyone who stepped away, like Dunica said earlier, FC United were born. They've all been vindicated in this last 48 hours, 72 hours. Awesome. Yeah. You know? Just snake oil salesmen. They're just, just businessmen. It, it's, you know, it. Like the, you know that analogy, like the, the scorpion and the frog going over the river and, um, you know, I need to hop on your back and no, but you'll sting me or we both die. And halfway over the river, you know, the scorpion stings the frog. We're both going to die now. Yeah, well, it's in my nature. It's in their nature for these guys to exploit every legal nook and cranny to to maximize profit. Cave Solicall said it on, you know, the, the the quote was, our role is to maximize profit. The good of the game is secondary. It's, it's like any industry. They don't operate any differently. Like no one, would you, would you like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg to take over your club now? Like, would you fuck? The problem now is no one's got a spare 4 billion quid hanging around to take over a football club. So we are kind of stuck with a huge problem, but at least, at least we can cling on and be joyous to the fact that it is actually true. The fans do actually have the power. We actually do. We mobilised. Like Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, 
like they they sort of led the charge on this one and I don't want to even have the conversation about oh yeah but they work for Sky and they're hypocrites and stop the distance between Sky listen Sky's pay-per-view nonsense was money grabbing scheme yeah they rolled it back they are a business as well and they're they're not custodians of a club or custodians of a sport they are a full business so the distance between that to this was enormous in my in my book um, don't know what happens from here like maybe that's worth expanding on what what we all think is gonna is gonna go down from now on or or like punishments i'd be interested to hear what you guys think yeah and just just before we touch on that i just had a question for for shane just obviously looking back on when the glazers took over at united in 2005 and i'll put this question obviously to, to a hire as well for fsg when, when they took over at liverpool do you think their intention was this european super league from the get-go or was to as as i said to americanize the european sports or do you think that's something that just developed as kind of time went on and um, i'd like to get your take on that Shane. Yeah, I think you'd probably be giving them too much credit to think that they had that much foresight or long-term planning in them. I think they saw a good business opportunity. They bought the club with loads of leverage. Uh, they bought it at an absolute snippet of what they should have paid for it. Um, they're paying back huge interest on it every year. Like People can talk about emotions, it being a real football club, blah, blah, blah. They literally saw it as a business opportunity it was a good business opportunity. They took advantage of it and they're still reaping the awards. And all this was them looking to multiply the rewards because a club as big as Man United still doesn't make a hell of a lot of money compared to what these billionaires are used to. You know, if someone's like in charge of a tech company or, you know, pharmaceutical, whatever, that's creating this amount of turnover, there's a hell of a lot of profit involved like these football clubs don't actually make that much profit because they're always having to buy new players, you know, build a stadium, etc. And all this was, was a business opportunity that they saw that they could, you know, make more money. That's literally it. Yeah. Yeah. Just to follow. Yeah. So as you said, like, like that, it, it, the whole thing was just a business opportunity, but it's like that. None of them are, you know, from England or used to the English game or, you know, they're all just businessmen who, like you said, saw a business opportunity. And so you can see, like, at the very, very basic level, them being businessmen, you can see why they were drawn to it. Because it's like, oh, well, like, what? Liverpool won the Champions League two years ago and, like, got to the final the year before and we won the league. But we actually might even, mightn't even qualify for the Champions League. So, like, the owners be like, how, how does that compute that we're you know, making this amount one year, this amount the next, and then there's a drop-off. Or like like that with Arsenal. Like, Arsenal, when when the owners would have bought them, were a Champions League club. And sure, they've been a shambles the last couple of years. Um, so it's, it's because they had no love for the game or understanding of the game, because they saw it as a business opportunity to guarantee a constant income and a constant um, profit, where... That's, that's just not what sport is or what football is. Like, it's the whole thing is based on merit. And, like, again, that, that's one of the biggest gripes that Neville and Carragher had with it. It was like, like, you know, sport needs to change. And, like, people at times don't like change, but, like, 
there's been sport throughout history in in or sorry there's been change in throughout history in in most sports and and in football as well you know obviously european cup then became the champions league and there's been attempts to to revamp it and some of them have gone well some of them haven't um you know obviously they've they've announced the new ones that'll be coming in, in a couple of years now as well but um just trying to have it that it's a level constant thing of income um they don't yeah they just didn't really understand that you get that amount of income by earning it and by your team being one of the best teams in Europe and getting there on merit and they just couldn't understand the fluctuation of it which this is is what I hope was quite a positive spin is that maybe a football club a European football club is actually not a very good doesn't have a very good inherent business model because these guys um, control P&L accounts and make decisions that affects balance sheets and like for them maybe they are long term now going to go right we need to get out of here because this is not like any other industry that we've ever dipped our toe into it's a total outlier and it's special and we've we've bastardized it and it's failed so hilariously and spectacularly maybe in the in the in the medium term they're going to get out of here because by definition, these billionaires are control freaks. If they're if FSG have controlled the Red Sox for so many years and all those decisions, if their bottom line is 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 dependent hugely on something that they can't control, yes, they can throw loads of money at players. Yes, they can hire um, the best coaches, but that doesn't guarantee. That actually doesn't guarantee you everything in football. Unfortunately, it guarantees you a lot. It probably guarantees you a seat at the top table. Chelsea, City being great examples of that. But, I mean, City can still get beaten by Burnley. Chelsea can still, you know, uh, try to retain a title and finish 10th. And these guys, that's 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 too risky. As a, someone with a, with a pure business hat on, there's way too much variability in your income levels year to year. It's, it's so risky. You're actually playing Russian roulette. So... So if it's about making money and stability, like get out, go leave. Like you don't know the game. Did you hear there was a line earlier about um, one of them? One of them had to ask what color the team was playing in when he went to a game. You know what I mean? Like this ain't this ain't for you, lads. And now, now more so than ever, you are standing naked in front of the entire footballing world, and you are like, I can't even, I can't even imagine how embarrassed they are. It's just the most embarrassing thing. And it's so funny to watch now. Now that we're past, you know, the uncertainty. But the thing is with that, Donica, just to finish up like that, like, I don't know if they really even would be embarrassed. Like, a lot of the, like, the apologies or the statements that have come out, it's all just PR trying to placate the fans and, like, like the people around them pointing out, like, lads, you royally fucked this up. Like, you need to say something. But, like, realistically, like, the Super League or a concept of a Super League is not going away. Like they've been entirely slapped in the face over it at this point, but they'll go back to the drawing board and they'll come back and try and figure out a better way or, you know, a way that it'll be snuck past the fans. But like, I agree. you know, like, I think, that's why I think the following few weeks and whatever sanctions come, it's so important that the, the like the way for crooks as well, but 
the FAs, they need to get this right now because this is now the opportunity to nip this in the bud. I don't know if it's possible to do so because there's so much money in football, but uh, the fans want them to try at least. So, yeah, I think Dave took Dave took the words on my mouth there. I don't I don't fully believe they are embarrassed. I mean, as you said, these are businessmen. Businessmen have ideas. Businessmen's ideas fail and they go again. That's how that's how they stay on top of the pyramid. That's how you make your money. You don't give up when one idea fails. You say, okay, learning curve. I'll go again. How can I adapt? that this will work and I will eventually make money out but the Super League is a step that failed so they're going to go back to the previous step that they had and say okay right before we announced the Super League whereabouts were we in our negotiations we were at this level here what can we tweak at this stage that will move us back to where we were at the top level without all the animosity that we received the only problem they're going to hit now is that people know that they're capable of it the the rumours only went on for so long and then they disappeared. Now they're back and they're in full effect because they tried it. So to go down that avenue again will be silly. And now they know kind of people's capacity to fight against it. And fair play to the people that did, as Shane said earlier, the Chelsea fans showing a physical presence outside the stadium. I'm sure there was more pictures and videos that we might not have seen of other clubs, but they're a prime example when you can. But this, it, like, it's not gone away. Like, the last 72 hours have been incredible television and tweets and everything that goes with it. We might have a hiatus for a couple of days while this simmers down and these six big wigs try and find their feet again, but they're not gone by any, they're not done. You know, this, this is just, I suppose, to them, uh, for the level of income they have, a minor setback and they'll take a step back and renew things and go again, but you know, that, that might be years, but that's how the rich stay rich. They're going to stay on top of the pyramid for a long time to come. Yeah, that's the thing I'd be worried about. Sorry, Gary. Um, because, as you said, they're all businessmen, so they're just going to be looking for the next big way of, of making the money back. Um, where, like, you know, obviously there was such uproar of us that you'd kind of be worried that everyone's just like, oh, brilliant. See what we did there? We stopped that happening. And then just be like, kind of tip, tip back down and be like, Grant, go back to the way things were. Like, they'll be going back to the drawing board and trying to sort it out and come back in with one. So one of the things that would worry me is, you know, obviously so many different, like, clubs and leagues and stuff came out with such, like UEFA as well, came out with such damning statements and the Premier League. Um, the one I'd be a bit wary of is um, FIFA's one was very kind of just as much as they needed to say. Because obviously they, you know, you'd forget because so many things happen so quickly, but you'd forget that like the FIFA, the Club World Cup, they were obviously trying to expand that and try and make that into a, a summer tournament or a far more expanded tournament. So it could easily be that a year or two down the line, the European Super League guys have just teamed up with FIFA and they're they're going to make their own version of it. FIFA can't really say, FIFA can't really say shit at the minute. Like, I mean... Their, their rep took a hit and a half not too long ago. Now is their opportunity to look like the good guys again. Oh, we're going to put our foot in and we're going to stop this Super League. Fantastic that they did. You know, we're, we're going to side with them in that respect, of course. But coming out with their statements about how, I don't know, what did they call themselves, like an honourable organisation or something like that? Like, don't give us that bullshit when we've gone through Seth Blatter and what we've gone through, like... You know, at the end of the day, they are also a business. The 2022 World Cup wouldn't be in Qatar if they weren't a fucking business. 
and that's just the bottom line. The business end of things is going to take over from the sport, but I think, and Gaz, you might have a point on this, I'm not sure, seeing as how you haven't spoken in a while. We're going through all the outrage that has been caused by all of this. And we mentioned before, I can't remember whether we were on or off air, about sort of losing the animosity between the likes of Man United and Liverpool, that it was a, a unification for once and that there's, you know, a Liverpool side with Neville, United side with Carragher, just the whole thing came together. But from reading Twitter, which is probably a bad thing, it almost seemed like there still was a little battle on who can be most outraged by this. So the general consensus was the Super League is a load of shite, chuck it out. But no matter what went on, it was still, as Donica mentioned earlier, what's Gary Neville saying? Sure, he worked for Sky, they charge for pay-per-view games, or, oh, I can't believe Gary Neville used that you'll never walk alone against Liverpool. Like, when we know contextually he was using it to make a good point, he wasn't dissing Liverpool for using it. He was saying that John Henry has completely gone against it. Like, do you still think that it's petty enough, despite all we've gone through, that those little bites are still there, that we can't just say, can we just work on getting rid of this first and put your petty bullshit to one side for a few minutes and we'll just focus on the bigger task at hand? Like, or, like can you ever fully get rid of these little bites between these fans and clubs? I think intelligent fans will be able to put it aside. I don't know. I don't, don't ask me what ratio there are of them versus, oh, Gary Neville slating Arsenal and he's got an agenda against Arsenal probably always going to be an element of that but um, it does seem for the most part like there has been a unification at least among at least among supporter groups among players among well they're quite united anyway because they they sh- you know no matter if you play for United or Liverpool you share a career and you share commonality so closely with these other guys even though they're rivals um, but yeah it's a very it's a very valid point that there was a lot of the tribalism still permeated through well Twitter's just Twitter's got a Twitter, isn't it? And I'm on it four hours a day. More fill me. Yeah, I was going to say as well, I believe the uh, the Spurs fans are out protesting ahead of the game tonight. Um, I think Man United fans have a scheduled protest on, on Saturday. I know a couple of Liverpool fans are out as well over the last couple of days at, or outside Anfield putting up the flags and, and uh, the, the signs and stuff like that. Um, but just to touch on kind of what O'Hara said and, and Ian said about that these owners aren't embarrassed that potentially they're, they're plotting something down the line. There was just a piece from the Glazer statement that it said, we continue to believe that European football needs to, be, needs to become more sustainable throughout the pyramid for the long term. However, we fully accept that the Super League was not the right way to go about it. Like I just question that straight. Like, why even put that in? If if you're supposed supposedly apologetic about everything, why put a couple of lines in like that? Um. So I think it, it just really shows the 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 the, the truth or the, the the face behind the mask of 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 all these football owners. Um. And it's, well just say we need more money. That's basically yeah. what they're saying in a roundabout way. We want more money. No, we need more money, but actually we just want more money. We don't need it. We want it. 
I think I think in the in the case of the other six, it's certainly a case of we need more money. Um, I mean, Juventus need to find a hundred million pretty soon, or there's a risk that they they might be defaulting on loans. Um, Barca are broke, Real are broke. They were the I think they were, I think they were the need, and the Premier League were the want. Yeah. Um, it, it, like it if you're going to simplify it to that. Yeah, it explains why they're still there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Trillium te- and technically still haven't left yet. <laughs> yeah, you know what just, I mean? It's just Real and Barca now. I think Atletico, I could be wrong. No, got... Juve, it's Juve, Juve Barca and Real are yeah. still there because right, okay. Paddy Power, typical Paddy Power, they're on top of everything. Had a meme up earlier on from the office of the three lads standing around pointing at each other saying, like, who's going to go next? But I mean, <laughs> like... Yeah. It's ab- it's absolutely crazy. When when one went, like we're talking about, I suppose we're specifically referencing the English teams here. Sheikh Mansour does not need that money. But when the invite is there and you're offered more, of course you're going to take it. Like, you know, you don't even have, like I work in accountancy. You don't even have to work in accountancy. You just have to watch TV and live your life to know that if businesses want to make money, businesses will find a way to make money. These boys are nowhere near the the six English clubs. They're nowhere near financially unstable that they need this. But as Shane said, you should have just wrote at the bottom of that statement, listen, we're going to find a new way to make a few more, Bob, and we'll be back to you when we do. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> but do, you not, do you not think, you know, like you just said about Mansoor, do you not, City was the weirdest one for me because City have been sports washing for, you know, Everybody using that term, it's an in term or whatever, but they have literally been sports washing, as Gary Neville said. Uh, like I've been over to where their stadium is, and that whole area is unbelievable. The money they've put in, they've tried to paint themselves in a good light. I don't understand, like they don't need the money, and, and they're trying to sports wash. So what why were they getting involved? I think I think, I think it came down to uh I think it seemed apparently the rumors were that that City had res- had resisted this and Chelsea to a certain extent for six or seven months and were very much they were very much apprehensive not because of any morality or wanting to save the game but they're like well hang on what's in it for me this kind of sounds like all you guys are going to improve and have a safer financial footing whereas we already have it and it's an advantage to us so I think more so than any kind of moralistic principle of we don't like this idea it's like. It, there's way more in it for you guys. The, the upside for for Liverpool for United was way bigger than for City. City are already on top. They already have unlimited, pretty much financial resources. And then the other thing that would would have turned the corner for them is when it got so much traction and it seemed as if this is looks like it's about to happen. City aren't going to want to be left behind. So they're like, okay, yeah, fine. If it's going like this, we'll be in the party. But you know. Yeah, um, just before, because I was thinking about obviously talking about the consequences as Donica touched on what all of our views are on what ramifications take place. Also, maybe might touch a bit on UEFA and obviously they've kind of gone under the under the carpet in, in, in all this to a certain extent, maybe what the future holds for for ownership and, and football. But O'Hara, I just want to ask you how laughable was it the inclusion of the so-called top six um and how they selected the top six oh it was absolutely ludicrous like it was actually hilarious having announced it 
that the results then that the teams proceeded to have, it was like they were nearly trying to um, just stamp through the fact that like we're through into this Super League, but actually we're kind of shit at the moment. Like, what, Chelsea drew, Liverpool drew, like most of them dropped points. Like it was absolute nonsense. And like, again, this is the problem when you're talking about it. People like fans of the particular clubs are going to think you're being tribal and just getting in ahead of them. But, like, it's genuinely relevant points. Like, both Arsenal and Tottenham are just laughing stocks. generally. They're both shambles. Like, like even, even right as the day the day that it was announced with Super League, Mourinho then was sacked by Tottenham six days before the League Cup final. Like, what sort of... Like, that is, that's just entirely comical. Like, I couldn't get my head around it. Like, why, why is it so important to get him out less than a week before a cup final when like he had gotten them to the final um but yeah like arsenal as well arsenal arsenal nearly doesn't even require explanation like when when was the last time they were in the champions league they definitely haven't been in for three or four years like and what they're in ninth or tenth and getting what a 97th minute equalizer against fulham like Did it, yeah, there's, there's a skit going around Ugh. Um, there's a skit going around with Irish lads who are doing like a fake conference call with all the clubs, and it it it's it's like uh, what uh, PSG aren't in it because the Spurs aren't in it. What we or, or Arsenal aren't in it. What, what we kicked Arsenal out like when did we set up this group? We set this group up in like 2014. Why do we not kick Arsenal? Or if fine, Arsenal can be in, and then it's like oh well, um, Bayern aren't going to be in it because because Spurs are in it. It's like what the who let these people in this fucking group? <laughs> It's like Man, Man, Manchester United have not won a trophy and I think it's five of the last seven seasons. You know, like... like yeah, like Tottenham, haven't, Tottenham have never even won a European Cup. And last time they won the league was about, what, 50 years ago? 1961. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's insane. Like, how... Like, Daniel Levy must have done some serious... Did serious you, see interviews Brendan, you think Brendan Rodgers was taking credit for it today? Was he? No, I didn't say that. He said, uh, I like Brendan Rodgers. I know you Liverpool fans might not, but... No, I was He basically said, uh, because of the performance that he's had on the pitch with Leicester City, that they've had to they've had to do something because they were panicked. <laughs> they were the, the disruptors. He was calling them the disruptors. Yeah, uh, yeah brilliant. And yeah, separately, I am a massive Brendan Rodgers fan and always was. Yeah, same. I've, I've never had... Not a bad word for him. Apart from how he comes across in that being Liverpool documentary. No, I like the less said about that documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Just it was too David Brent. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you, I don't know how you guys feel, but do you reckon say they took out Arsenal Spurs and they put in I know we were kind of saying like Ajax and I don't know, maybe I'm trying like a, a club just from a different country. Because it was like the European Super League and there was four countries covered. Like, I think that that was almost their, one of their biggest downfalls was it was six English teams. I, I think I think I think just the the format the, the fact that you don't have to qualify that that you have this god given right to exist it was the issue. Like if it was Ajax and Benfica instead of Spurs and Arsenal, or like even if even if four of the teams were unable to be relegated, the whole thing falls apart for me. Because it goes against what football is, that there's no jeopardy. Like even if it was United, United, Liverpool, Real, Barca, those four can't get relegated and the rest can. Well then 
now that's not sport. As Pep Guardiola actually said brilliantly, it's just not sport anymore. Even if even if one team wasn't allowed to get relegated, it's not sport. Literally, because the problem as well, like, like these are just twelve of the richest clubs currently. Like, had they had they gone ahead with this thing thirty years ago, it would have been an entirely different hmm. setup. So, like, why why can you say, oh well, we're the best, so we're now guaranteeing ourselves we're not going to be relegated? Like, you could. Like, you absolutely could easily not be the best in in ten years. Like what? What if Newcastle's takeover went ahead? Yeah, exactly. And suddenly they're the first or second richest team in the Premier League. Do Newcastle or Newcastle will probably get invited then as one of the four teams that they never told us how to get invited would show up to the party? But this is the bullshit that Florentino Perez was coming out with. Like instantly when it came out, and it was like, Grant, these we've twelve clubs confirmed. We want fifteen founding members. But there's going to be five clubs that we invite every year based on their merit of the previous season. And then, obviously, everyone straight away is like, well, that is absolute bullshit. What? So these 15 teams are just guaranteed to get in, even if, like Donica was saying, like Chelsea won the league and then they finished 10th the following season. Like, what? Like, how is, there, how is that logical? And then he was then being like, oh, no, hold on now. We, we're not saying it's a closed book. We're saying we can let people in every year. Like, uh, what are you talking about? Did you see what the financial breakdown was going to be for one of the qualified teams? So let's say Leicester performed brilliantly in the domestic league and they get into the Super League. If Leicester went ahead and won the Super League, they would earn 30% of what Real Madrid would earn for finishing last. <laughs> it's insane. They were going to get about 450 million just for accepting the invitation. The golden it's, handshakes. It's, yeah. all, it's all down to gatekeeping. Sheer business again. Like the, the way they're looking at it is what gets the most receipts full stop? Is it CSK in Moscow versus Ludogorets in the Champions League group stages fucking fighting for third place? Or is it the El Clasicos, the Derbies, the big games? Now, where they got Spurs from, I don't know. <laughs> big games. Where, what gets the receipts? And of course, as football fans, even now, I can sit here and go on to live score, whatever app you use, and you can see XYZ games at the weekend. That's going to be a cracker. I'm going to watch it. And it could be, it could be El Clasico because the La Liga is tight at the top. It could be whatever, the cup final that's at the weekend. But your immediate attention looks for those big name clubs and who they're playing. You look at the Premier League fixtures this weekend and you'll see, I don't know, Burnley and Sheffield United and your eyes will completely go, where's United, where's Liverpool, where's Chelsea, who are they playing this weekend? It's just the way we are as football supporters that you always want to watch what we consider to be the best teams. And they've just picked up on that and just sold everybody and said, grand, we're going to pick up on that and we're going to make a competition with them. But where the fuck they were going with the anti-competitiveness? Just purely like, uh, there's the demand, here's the supply. Let's increase the supply because the demand is there. No nuance, no understanding of the environment, no understanding of all of the many variables that exist beyond that. Like, these businessmen, like, I mean, I reckon a 15-year-old could potentially do a better job than some of these lads. 
It's like somebody gave you a TV channel that only has reruns and no new TV or film was ever made. And they went, you have to watch reruns for the rest of your life. There you go. That's a show. Fire away. <laughs> we're never going to have writers. We're never going to have new actors. Nothing. Just Imagine how unimportant. Like, like, oh, I missed United against Real last week. Oh, no, they're playing again in 10 days. Do you know what? That's, that's what I was going to say. Like, because that, That's a problem in US sports. I've been someone who's lived in North America for a while. They, like... I was a Raptors fan living in Toronto. There's 82 league games. No one goes there. Not one Raptors fan, diehard, goes there and actually is upset if they lose because there's another chance in two nights and you will lose 30 games and make the playoffs. And, like, that's the problem. North American sport, there's no jeopardy at all. Like, the games don't matter. There's nothing on them, a lot of them. That's the problem with it, like, because they, they like you were saying, like, they saw that, like, oh, like, these, you know, Champions League quarterfinals and semifinals, that's where everyone tunes in. That's where everyone's like, oh, this is the best quality of the sport. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, like Liverpool fans love going away to these away games. They love going to Madrid. They love going to Barcelona. Let's just give them that every single year. But like the whole point of it is that it only comes around every couple of years, which is what makes it special. Like Liverpool played around Madrid there a couple of weeks ago. We know as Liverpool fans, like off the top of our head, we played them in the final two years ago. We played them in 2014, 2015, where that was a shambles. And we played them in 2009, which is unbelievable. Straight away, you can be like, we remember those because we only get to play them every four or five years or, you know, every couple of years, depending on how you're drawn. So, like, if you're playing them every single week, it's the same as if, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I got tickets for Burnley away this year and Newcastle last year. Like, it's the same as just playing these Premier League teams every single year because it takes away the special aspect of it. Like you were saying, if you lose, well, Sherlock will be playing them every year home and away for the next 20 years. So who cares? Are we, are we a bit mad though? Like, so obviously the level of outrage that we had, the, the, where the outrage was based at was in the right place. It was against the Super League. But we have to draw a line between being outraged at something but also not being surprised at it. Because we've referenced so many times during this chat, business, 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 money, money, money. You ask anybody outside of owning a football team that owns a company, what do you want to do? I want to make it successful. But success to them is having a good business, making it profitable, getting those P&L and balance sheet figures as high as you can, making it look as sustainable as possible with room for expansion. What is success to a football team, to fans, its trophies, its big name signings, its reputation? But we're fans, we're forgetting who's at the top of this, is those businessmen that I just referenced who want those bottom line figures to be healthy and line pockets. They're desire to have a good reputation towards fans almost seems secondary and that's where we're that's what i suppose losing sight of it's the wrong way to put it because as fans we should only be focused on i'm a man united fan for all my life i want to see them winning trophies i grew up with them winning trophies i'm now at a period for the last few years where they haven't been you're not going to abandon shit from them you want to see them climb the ladder and succeed again so to me success to them will be getting back more trophies in the cabinet making a couple more big name signings 
keeping the steady flow and knowing that Man United will always be a good club and I will continue to follow them regardless, but of course I want to see them near the top. But then you've got the Glazers leading the show at the top and success to the Glazers. They'll come out in these PR reports like they did today. Oh, we're sorry we lost sight of the bigger picture, which is the fans and reputations and bullshit. That's what the PR reporter thinks. It's not what Joel Glazer thinks. Joel Glazer's thinking, shit, 350 million a year at least I could have got here. How the fuck am I going to find this elsewhere? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? The outrage look, is... Look at the Glazers with how they spend, whether we get into the Champions League or not. So every time we secure Champions League qualification, United don't spend in that summer because they've got into the Champions League and that's the, the end goal for them at the moment. But then the following season, which has happened numerous times in, since Ferguson's left, we drop out of the top four and then they spend money to get us back into the top four. And it's been like, it's been an endless cycle and a club that's being run properly would obviously look to continue to grow and, you know, look to push on. But those decisions are very obviously made with, like you said, profit and loss at the core of it you know and, and that's a really easy way to see it is literally whether man united finished top four or not sorry yeah. to stop yeah like not to, i don't want to harp on about it too much like i don't want to start ranting about this but take it back to the basics like i was referring to earlier on football aside you own a construction business and you've got a load of sites on the go and you know that to spend this money you make this money and it's sustainable for this long you're going to maintain that and you're going to keep going steady with that suddenly you realize you need another site because these ones aren't going to hit the profits you thought they would so you get another site and you rebuild that and you make the money off that football teams work off the same premise man united were making champions league making the money that's the sites they initially had they don't need anymore they have enough coming in with what's there Suddenly they don't make Champions League, go back to it. It's like not, it's like needing that other side again. They have to pump money in here to get back what they expected originally. They need it from elsewhere. And that's that's Liverpool did the exact same thing. And I was naive to think Liverpool won the Champions League 97 points in the league and bought Sepp van der Berg for 1.2 million quid, a 16-year-old from Holland. That was their only signing from that position of strength with lots of money flooding into the club. And they feel like they've, they've spent what they need in the resources to get that income in. And at the time I was like, no, no, it's because the team is settled. And what the, f what was I thinking? Like, Adrian is a free transfer. They splashed yeah. out on a free transfer. Yeah. It's like more, more fool me for thinking that the reason they weren't adding to the team was not to un like upset a great harmony there or that they, yeah, it's purely, purely... When Man United won the treble, Ferguson bought Varane and Vanessa, right? And he kind, of, he kind of ruined the team for the following season, but he saw what needed to be done to keep moving forward. I think, I think maybe separate point, but Sir Alex Ferguson's greatest achievement was that he, he managed to recycle the team like four times successfully. 100%. No, that, that, like, That's genius. No, no one else has done it. Guardiola has done it, I would say, with City now. Perhaps, yeah. He's only uh, just starting to do it, really. He's only though, just starting he? to do it. That's what he's done this season, but yeah, I agree.
Uh, just on the on the topic, obviously, we kind of discussed the managers and, and, and stuff over the last while, and I actually didn't think we'd actually mention Jose Mourinho on this podcast, but we have. Um, I'd love to get your view, Donica, from a Liverpool perspective and then Shane just on a United perspective, but do you think Klopp and Oli will potentially walk if the ownership remains the way it is or there's no potential change of ownership structure within the club um, or there's there's no potential of the owners leaving or trying to leave? Can you see Klopp staying under that management? Because it's a case of, for example, again, I think we've all used the examples of working in a business, but if your boss did something like that to you, more than likely you'd probably get pack up your bag and walk out the door and um, if someone kind of bullied you in or form bullying or i'm behind your back to to that extent i'd love to get your view don't get just from liverpool and Klopp. yeah in terms of Klopp, if this had gone ahead i think the likelihood that he was going to walk was um much much higher than what it is now and i think Klopp answered it himself before the leeds game when he said um i care like paraphrasing but he knew it that this is his team he cares deeply about these players on a professional and a personal level they're they're his co-workers but they're you know it's a, it's it's a collective and he's a responsibility to them and to the fans and i believe that like his the, the man that he is that we all know that he is he feel far more um loyal to the fans and the players that he works with day in day out than than FSG and I'm sure he is just beyond furious and I'm sure he, he might be sitting down with them like literally at this moment and he has all these questions of John Henry why did you do this why did you not deal me in it's very clear that he wasn't consulted it's very clear that all the managers none of the players none of the managers were consulted so whether FSG can reconcile the relationship with Klopp I think they probably can given all the success that they've had in the future but I, like Whatever chance there was ever of Klopp extending beyond 2024, I believe, is now definitely gone. Um, and he'll finish up when he finishes out his contract and maybe move on to international. Um, but, like, they, they have a lot of work to do. FSG don't have now realised the most powerful man in Liverpool Football Club is Jurgen Klopp. And the next most powerful is probably Jordan Henderson. And that's now been proven. That is now a fact. You, They'll never get away from that fact. So... Um, they have a big job. They need to, I don't know, buy them, buy them, buy them a bunch of flowers and a bit more. I think. Shane, um, from a Man United perspective, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, can you see him potentially walking? Or, and again, if if ownership doesn't change, can you see him going at some stage? Uh, he's in a bit of a different situation than Klopp. Klopp's got a a reputation and you know a back catalogue of trophies and successful seasons behind him. Um, that would probably make it easier to walk away. Uh, the one thing I will say for Solskjaer is he really seems to have a really good bond with the current Man United squad. And all of the talk that's come out this week or the last couple of days is there was actually a really good reaction by the players in terms of standing up to the ownership. And there seems to be a real good unity from that point of view going on with the club at the moment. And... Solskjaer is probably in a stronger position now than since he's become permanent manager than ever before. So I think he's got the players on his side. He's obviously got the fans on his side at what's going on. And I, I, I don't know. 
Solskjaer doesn't give away enough of himself. He's not as open as Klopp is in terms of, you know, as a person, maybe how he portrays himself. But I think he's probably, they're all going to be hurt. They're like, the, I, I, th- I almost think the worst thing is like, we were betrayed as fans, but the players and the management were betrayed so badly. Like it was, it was actually quite hard to watch when you saw the interviews afterwards. And like, usually you'd have, you'd be cynical and go, oh, you know, they just don't want to answer the questions. But, you know, if we had have come on to do this podcast five minutes after, you know, finding out the news, we would have all been stuck for words. You know, we've had three days to digest it and think about it and talk about it. And yeah, they're all going to be hurt. And there's probably irreparable relationships there between them all. I don't think they can go back to, there's a lack, there's going to be a lack of trust always now like I don't think you can ever go back to that trust like it, it's it's done for um but <sighs> Solskjaer to get I know I've gone away from but Solskjaer to walk away from the Man United job a job which he probably feels very privileged to have would be a, a quite a hard thing to do I reckon mm-hmm. and that's not that's not an against the man I don't want that to seem like it's something against him but you know and he, he genuinely does care he does care as well I'm just going to just as touch lightly on one of the points Shane was making there. Like that with the players. Like, they were all so entirely thrown under the bus. And, like, that's, like Shane was saying again, like, that was one of the worst aspects for, for me because it was so hard to watch because, like, these owners had made the decisions, again, purely for, you know, a greedy fucking selfish point of view. Didn't care about the clubs or the players. Like, it was so disrespectful to the players to make this decision and then like the players are being told oh yeah you're not going to be you're only going to be playing this Super League and if it goes ahead we're going to be kicked out of the Premier League and there's no way you're going to be allowed to play in the Champions League and like all these players grew up dreaming of winning the Premier League winning the Champions League you know obviously a lot of them with Liverpool obviously in the last couple of years have won it but like to be told oh yeah no you're not playing in those anymore oh and as well if it goes ahead you're not going to be allowed to play for your country either so like dreams of winning the Euros or the World Cup and like these players like they've spent their whole lives building up to it and like working for it you know like you'd have the likes of Trent who like seems like an anomaly and he just happens to be an absolute superstar comes up through the academy and then is, is straight into the team like so many of these players have had to work so hard through their youth careers and like you know maybe ha- at times have had to take a step back in terms of career um progress you know like they might have been at a big club didn't get a chance you know even yeah exactly or like the small like even slightly as well like De Bruyne I'm sure when he got his move to Chelsea he was like brilliant this is my break now I'm gonna make it and he didn't get a look in and he had to go to Germany play for Wolfsburg like who who weren't at all considered one of the bigger German clubs at at the time but then obviously has become one of one of the biggest midfielders in the world one of the biggest superstars where like he he persevered and ploughed through that because he wanted to make a success of himself and he wanted to win the big trophies. Where now they were all just being told, yes, yeah, sorry, lads, that's that's just not gonna happen anymore. Sorry. But can I Gaz, I wanna ask you this, because I know I know you as a as a person, I wanna see what you think it is. Go for it. You're in the position of one of the big six English clubs, you're a player, and they tell you that this Super League is happening, it's going ahead, do you play? 
or do you fight back against it? Like, suppose suppose you're putting up the fight and seem to be getting nowhere as a collective unit. This Super League looks like it's going ahead. Do you jeopardise your career with that club, your wages every week from that club, your international prospects? Do you jeopardise all that because you don't want to lose your job? Or... It it depends depends what uh, what club I'm at I suppose. Um, okay, we'll go United. We're we're United yeah. fans, right? That's your diehard. We'll go with them. I d- again, I, I suppose it's one of those things that it's it's much easier said than, than done if if you're not actually in that position. Um, but I'd like to think I'd be strong enough to to say no to participating in the Super League. I'd like to think I'd stay loyal to. The people that pay my wages every week, i.e., the fans. Um, I'd also like to think that I'd have obviously a passion to represent Ireland at a World Cup or a Euros. So that would come into the the thinking behind it. But again, it's I suppose it's it's easier for us to to sit here and say, yeah, we we wouldn't partake in a in a Super League. Um. And I know, as, as Shane and the couple, and uh, all of us, I think, have mentioned at some stage that a lot of the players did come out and say, and I, and I think that's what we wanted as as football fans, because I think there was obviously, I don't know, were we expecting the players and potentially the managers to come out on Sunday evening and completely bash this and, and slayed it straight away, but that didn't happen. So I think we were all a little bit, of, well, I was personally a little bit on edge that no one really came out on Sunday evening, but then as the news filters through that you're aware that they actually weren't told or weren't given any of this information. They were given it 20 minutes before a match, before the United match soldier and the players were, were given that information. So it, it's hard to react there and then in, in the moment. But to answer your question, again, I'd like to think if I was in that position, I would say no to the, to the European Super League. But then again, as a footballer, I think we were saying on other podcasts, like you take into consideration your family, you take into consideration how much is on your mortgage or how much you're, you're paying for this, that and the other every week. So um, yeah, but, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to think I, I, I wouldn't, but again. Point that I, I want to make just on, on that in terms of like these top players that are on a lot of money, like I... I kind of question why money matters so much to a lot of the top players. Now, aside from the the wild card of getting a terrible injury a la Ryan Mason and your career is cut short, if you're a top player, you're still going to get paid very, very well. All right, if you decide to leave the Super League, maybe you're not getting paid your, your 800 grand a week. But if, if the Premier League existed as a separate entity and you could go to Leicester or West Ham, it's not like you're now on four grand a week. You know, like I still like for me, um, like I don't really money's not really something that's a massive motive for me in general. Um, and I know like I would value representing my country way above that. And that's that's me being honest. That's not me trying to virtue signal a grandstand or anything. I just think money's not that because I'm money just doesn't matter too much to me. So for that reason, I'd you know, I think it's more of a just a competitive thing for those players though they want to be playing against it the top players. competitive <laughs> but it wouldn't matter like like these these super league squads would have had they would have literally had super squads you know just yeah. to just to participate in this extra tournament say like how many extra first team players would they need so if you multiply that by every club 
Like, yeah, it's a valid point. It is a valid consideration. Hundreds of the best players, probably, within this confined, you know, group of teams. And like, if you're a say a Mo Salah or a Bruno Fernandez or whoever, like I, I'm sure they're full of integrity and they're full of you know wanting to do the right thing and like financially whatever, but you'd kind of be looking from afar and going, mm, I should be there. I should be participating in that. Well, maybe could it be a similar decision to, you know, um, like Irish, it's the case for Irish boxers, especially. I mean, that's the Olympics is for amateur boxers only. And you have the decision of, and a lot of boxers will start their career as amateur and then move after they've represented their country in an Olympics. But it would be, do I go down the pro route and I'm in this super league and I'm almost in sports entertainment or do I stay and 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 represent my country and have 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 sporting have sporting merit as the pinnacle as a player? It's still a, it's still a stepping stone. They're still doing it to maybe have a better pro career. Yeah, but some don't though. Some decide not I to go. They don't always, yeah, but like Kenny Egan's and guys like that. Now, not all. They're they're kind of outliers. In fairness, but could you still have the same motivation as a player? playing in the Super League, like, okay, very good point there that it takes more first-team players and things like that. But do you lack motivation, obviously money, but do you lack motivation as a football fan slash player when you're on the pitch if every game is non-competitive? Like, do you lose that sense of, I might be playing for this, but sure, if I don't play well and we lose this game, I'm going to be here next year. I'm going to be here next week. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's almost like being a mid-table Premier League team. So at this stage of the season now, 32-odd games into the Premier League, we kind of know who's going to be in the middle of the table. That's not going up or down. It's like being them for the next Always, Yeah. So you're not, I suppose, we'll put, we'll use... Premier League teams, you're not a Man City or a Man United right now, and you're also not a Fulham or a Sheffield United, that you have, good or bad, something to fight for, you're you're basically just sitting there saying, like, I know how I hate friendlies and challenges, I hate them, obviously I'd rather them over training, but I hate them, I, you go out and you could shoot the lights out or have the worst game ever, and you're thinking, well alright, I'll just you know, I'll pick myself up again the next time and, you know, you'll make it work. Nothing was on the line there. Yeah. That's, I, I just think that is a really, really good point, you know, because we, we see it every year in the Premier League where a team is safe from relegation, is nowhere near challenging for Europe and all the players are pretty much packing their bags, thinking about where they're going on holidays and how many times have you seen a team just lose the motivation and drop down a couple of places again They don't drop anywhere near relegation, but the good... Be, I don't know, five, six, seven points above, above relegation. But that could that could have easily happened. And that was the, one of my first thoughts when they kind of read out the, the, the structure, the plan of, of the Super League and the fact that no one gets relegated. Was obviously one winner, but I don't know, top four, whatever way, way it worked. Um, yeah, you, you could have big clubs playing potentially big games, but just lacking so much and like O'Hara said you look forward to Real Madrid versus Liverpool every three four or five years but you don't want to be seeing it every second week or every third week or whatever 
But, the um, best, sorry to cut across you just for a split second, but like the best thing about it is, or the best thing about something as competitive as the Premier League or whatever it may be is that you get a West Ham like this year, you get like a Leicester winning the league, you get a Sheffield United being promoted and suddenly banging up the league, and now this year they're at the complete opposite end of it. It's, a, it's top. It's tops and bottoms. It's ups and downs. It's just when you know that there's something to play for. As a fan, it makes you want to watch it. As a player, it makes you want to play for it. And like to me, that's the bottom line. I'm not going to sit here. Like I pose the question to you. I'd be hypocritical to say that. Oh, I'd walk away and I'd hold my head high and I'd have my morals and stuff like that. If I was put in the position of a footballer, honestly, don't know. I mean, there's going to be so many driving factors, like you said, that I can't honestly sit here and say I wouldn't play. I mean, I, I, I love playing football full stop, but to me, it, it needs that competitiveness and it needs to have the opportunity that, you know, at the flick of a switch, something can change and you're in a dogfight, be a top or bottom. To know that I have to perform in the next couple of games or even the next game to either potentially get a reward or avoid a punishment. And that's just like that's that's every team's driving force at the start of a season is that whether it's naive or not, every team thinks they can be successful and success to City could be winning it and success to Brighton could be surviving. But at least you have something to fight for from day one. Yeah, like I think you can distill all the outrage can be distilled down to that one point that it's it's open competition, it's a meritocracy. That's it's it's the it's the spectrum of glory versus jeopardy, and the pressure and all the trials and tribulations, the romantic stories, the huge collapses, um, the outrage of the Super League. I think can be distilled to that. For me, it is. Yeah, that's one of the things that Steve Parrish was saying, Crystal Palace manager, when they had him on M and F. Because he was saying, look, I might be, you know, misguided in thinking that, but the reason I'm in it is to see if we can get Crystal Palace into Europe someday. You know, and that's his driving force behind it, where, like, if something like this came in, all, like, teams like that would be like, well, what's even the point? Like that, like a West Ham this year, or even when Leicester won the league, and, like, even going back to different Champions League, like, <laughs> Liverpool in Istanbul in 2005, like, Liverpool were nowhere near, like the standard of a club to at that point if they were doing it to have been led into it but like that's that's the the great thing about it. that's why everyone loves the game that's why it's a beautiful game Steve Parrish he made me feel so much better when he was on Monday Night Football because yeah, he actually called it earlier he said don't think that this is necessarily a very dark day for football. This could be a very good day for football. And at the time, I was like, what? And he expanded to say, this is going to unite everyone against the common, you know, there's going to be a lot of solidarity against this. And I think this is going to be a great day. And he had a big smile on his face when he was on MNF. And he was right. It's made everybody look in the mirror at themselves. Yeah. That's the big thing. Like, not to go back to what we were just saying, but I... I... I live near Birmingham, so there's a lot of Aston Villa fans near me. Aston Villa stayed up on the last game of the season last year with a Jack Grealish goal, uh, homeboy, stayed up in the division, started this season looking like they were going to get into Europe. You yeah. know, like, 
that would be gone. Like that would be non-existent anymore. You know, they went from literally nearly going back down to the championship after coming up to making a run for Europe and yeah, just and there there are so many stories like that. Yeah. Swansea, Swansea, League Two to six years in the Premier League and five years. Bournemouth, League Bournemouth, Two, five yeah. years in the Premier League. I think they were. I think Bournemouth did back to back League One promoted, Championship promoted. That's, yeah, they did three. Yeah, it was three promotions in like common. six years or something like that. Like where, where Europe, I think, where all the European leagues are very jealous is that that is that is one very special quality about England that doesn't really happen elsewhere. Like you're, Donnick, you're literally you're literally smiling talking about those stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they were brilliant. Your your face is beaming because you're like, is like that's what it's about and. I don't know how you guys, this is a slightly off topic, but I was even thinking about why do I support an English team this, these last few days? I was like, I don't know, it kind of made me look at myself a little bit and go. Yeah, I, and I think, Shane, I think a lot of football fans were, were, were like that. There was a lot of um, things going around of people trying to, to potentially choose another team or looking at... I, I was born in Manchester, by the way. Just like, <laughs> so I get away with it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I never really gave the League of Ireland too much attention, and that is totally on me. And I'm kind of ashamed of myself that I didn't. Like, I, I have a reason to follow the League of Ireland now because early in the season, like one of my mates is top scorer, or at least he was up until a couple of um games ago. It is, I think, yeah. And that's that was that was like oh we got Foley's Foley's absolutely killing it and he's he's sort of a late bloomer bloomer um so I'm like I'm Finn Harps all in this season because he's doing so well and now yeah on top of this I'm definitely going to make a, a concerted effort to support League of Ireland absolutely and I'm I'm like, I'm embarrassed at myself that I haven't until now I know we're I know we're on a good note now and I I'm going to play slight devil's advocate for a second just on Steve Parrish. I'm not. I I loved his his talk on MNF and everything that went with it. But it it he was one of the ones that said that remember during the COVID thing last year that it's not the responsibility of you know a supermarket to bail out a corner store, basically saying that yeah you know they they look I harp on about it so much I'm shutting him out after this, but there's there's the businessman in him. We don't get to see whether or not he would have jumped the gun to be a Super League team because he's not in contention, as they say, by the other six to be picked. But what he said was great about wanting to start every season in the hope that Palace could make Europe. That's the attitude you like to see. But behind it all, they're all, you know... Yeah, no, you you wouldn't be you wouldn't be calling for a knighthood for for Steve Parrish or anything. Absolutely, yeah, bang on. Um, I wouldn't want the loan of a fifty off me. I'd say, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just um, maybe two things we, we might try touch on before we, we we finish up. Number one, as Donica mentioned, he'd love to kind of hear all our views on the potential consequences for the clubs, the owners, and. Um, after the after obviously the, the decision to to try enter the the or to enter the, the European Super League and then obviously back out, but also I'd love to get your views on um the new format of the the Champions League and how UEFA are going about it because just reading some of the criteria that were or the, the the structure of it again it was looking after the the top teams that they would have qualification if they were to miss out. So is that not quite similar to the European Super League in in some aspects, and um, 
O'Hara, I might come to you first on that one, maybe just the, the consequences. Yeah, um, it's a hard one to call, really, isn't it? Because obviously when the initial, when the news came out initially, everyone was like, you know, obviously like Gary Neville on, on Sky was like, oh, dock them points, find them, relegate them. And like at the time, you're like, yeah, absolutely. Like they entirely deserve it. Like they've been so disgraceful and disrespectful to all the other clubs. Um, but then like when you see the likes of Klopp and all coming out, like, you know, having to be the ones to bear the brunt of all the all the questions and you're, you're kind of like, oh, these lads had nothing to do with it. Like these have fought and have been fighting to try and get into the Champions League players and the staff and the manager had absolutely nothing to do with it so like it's hard to justify the argument in my opinion anyway or to find a good reason to be like grant dock them 10 points or relegate them or do whatever I, I think really in my opinion the only thing that can they can do justifiably is find the owners or find the clubs and target the owners because They've all come out like that with the John Henry one, even if it's not necessarily true. You know, like Billy Hogan, the CEO, I'm sure was involved at some stage. But to have, like, Henry has come out and been like, this was all on me. I was the sole reason for all this happening. And like the staff, the whole club, you know, low working for the club and they had nothing to do with it. So then, Grant, we should find him. So I'm not sure how you'd go about it you know, like separating it that he specifically or the company specifically gets fined. Um, I always find these things so trivial as well because like even thinking like the likes of the City scandal earlier on in the season where it looked like they were definitely going to be thrown out of the Champions League and then they, they get off on a technicality because they were like, oh yeah, no, they did break the rules but it was just a little bit too long ago so it was slightly out of the time frame so hands are tied you know like that's a load of bull like if they did it they should be punished for it you know and like everyone knew it it was right there in black and white man said they've broken the rules of ffp so why aren't they getting punished for it and nothing happened so it should be the owners and they should be heavily punished because they they like genuinely threatened to ruin the game as we know it and like a lot of people i know like a lot of people I know are hugely passionate fans. Like any of the lads in, in the WhatsApp group and all of us here on the podcast, like we absolutely love our club, you know? And like, obviously there's the tribalism and like, you know, being a Liverpool fan, I'd be like, oh, why would you bother supporting United? But like, you'd always have respect for passionate fans of other clubs, even if it's a fan or if it's a club you're not interested in, because you're passionate for your club. You love this club. like. You know, Dunica, I'm sure it'd be the same. Like, we've supported this team for over 20 years. We absolutely love this club. You know, Jurgen Klopp, Jordan Henderson, absolutely love these guys. We'll go to fucking war for them. And then for the owner to just come out and throw the whole club under the bus to such an extent that, like, any of the passionate fans I know, and me included, Dunica, any of us that were saying it at the time, it was genuinely, genuinely being like if this goes ahead I'm not following Liverpool anymore and like you know you're like I have every Liverpool home jersey since I started following them I fucking reams of Liverpool jerseys and Liverpool memorabilia and you know all the memories of going to matches and stuff where you're like 
if it happens, like, am I ever even going to be able to, like, morally wear the jerseys again? Do you know? Because you're, like, just so ashamed of where it has gone, had it happened. So I just think, like, putting the fans through such emotional turmoil, and it has been. And, like, again, like, you know, obviously if you're in the office, like, obviously I've been in the office the last few days, <clears throat> and, like, some of the girls be like, what are you on about? Why are you getting so, like, stressed over this? And I'm like, you know, it's football. It's not going to happen. Or if it does, sure, look, you know, football is still beyond. Like, no. like, And it's only it only ever, like, occurred to them that it, it could actually be a real thing. Because they were like, would you stop sporting Liverpool? And I was like, yeah, if it happens, I'll be done with them. And they, like, it's only then you're like, oh, this is a big thing. Um, the very ones that I cry over Carnation Street. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 100%. I, I've been getting shit. Like, a lot of my good mates uh, are will be way more rugby heads. They don't give a shite about football. They call it soccer. Totally, that's fine. And they just, it doesn't compute to them why I was so pissed off. It was like, you know, in the WhatsApp, is D calmed down yet? Like, is he all right? Like, what is he having an emotional breakdown? And kind of a bit of ridicule there. But I mean, People are passionate about any sorts of things, exactly as Eno said. Some people are just, that character in that show means everything to them and have to get killed off. They're devastated for a couple of days. Whatever your jam is, like, it would be yeah. shit to live a life without passion. Like, if, you're, if your passion is for fashion, I don't understand it, don't get it. That's what I respect. It's your passion. And that it goes for everything. There's, there's no thing that you should be ashamed to be passionate about if you truly are. So. Rugby fans should understand the lack of competition. To be fair, exactly. Six Nations prime <laughs> example. Like, <laughs> literally, Italy should have been chucked out years ago. But oh, just on that, uh, it annoys it annoys the fuck out of me, and it has for fifteen years. And what and what Dave was saying there about uh, about clubs not being punished. Like, I remember it was leaving. Um, I was doing a bit of running the other day, and I was just checking my phone afterwards, and one of the lads was asking me like, "What do you think should be done?" And at the time, I was just vexed, and I was like, oh, I'd be deducting points. It, it was basically following off what Gary Neville had said, deducting points, find them, take money, whatever you have to do. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like, if you're going to abandon the Premier League and you're going to abandon the Champions League, then your earnings from the Premier League and the Champions League for the last year, you just don't get them. Simple as. You get either yeah. you yeah. pay them back or you don't get them or whatever. But it's punishing the club there's only six people that should be punished in all this there's not all those staff like the audacity of them like contemplating furlough and staff Arsenal letting people go and then behind the scenes making these 350 million so like the real interesting factor is going to come when JP Morgan's legal thing starts yeah that's where the owners will be first of all punished I hope I think it's coming out of their pocket their pocket outside of the entities that are City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, Spurs and Arsenal, outside of those entities that they're footing legal costs and, you know, early release of contracts and termination of contracts and every cost that comes with it that JP Morgan have because they backed it. It's been claimed it's been signed. I mean, that's binding. Now you have to break it and to break it costs a lot of dollars. So that's exactly it. The punishment has to fit the crime, and the crime here is not a sporting one. It's it's an anti-sport one. So you can't you can't punish sporting people for something that happened in a boardroom. What do these people care about? And th and this is a group, a very small group, as Ian says, of conspirators. This is a conspiracy almost. So 
you you can you can you can confine it into one room of of people who made this happen. So um, the punishment fits the crime. What do they care about? Money. How are you going to go after them? Take their money, whatever way that is. Yeah, mobilize legal teams. Have a look in the small print. See if there's ways for them to be sued. It could get messy, and and the clubs might suffer for it in the short term, which would be really unfortunate collateral damage. But I think it's more important to make sure the owners suffer than, it's, in my opinion, it's more important to make sure the owners suffer than the club doesn't at all. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of crossfire, unfortunately. You know, I, I, I think as a bare minimum, money has to go from the clubs that were involved to grassroots football. So whether it be, you know, uh, each club gets fined, say, 10 million, which is nothing, I know that, but just as a figure, 10 million each, but that 10 million doesn't go to the FA and disappears. That 10 million goes to lower league clubs, goes to stadiums around the country, you know, take off them, but actually put the money back in to the sport and almost make a point about the fact that this is the this is the this is your fault. Like you were trying to damage football at its roots so we're going to take the thing that you care about which is money and we're going to give it to the thing you were trying to kill which was football at a level that you just don't even care about or even know exists basically they should send they should send Divock Origi down to Gillingham and Lindelof to South End and uh, and they'll, they'll probably get worse <laughs> it's just like when they when the Gaelic footballers used to come around to the school you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except, oh no, uh, you're not you're not allowed back on the bus. You, this is actually, this is you now for the rest of your contract. I don't think Premier League footballers would be drunk bringing the trophy around to the school leader. But no, <laughs> <laughs> it's for another day. From the night before. <laughs> oh, fact. Heineken down the front of the top and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Just just finish on. Um, Maybe just the, the new Champions League format. Um, O'Hara, kind of that, that uh, we'll, let, we'll let you start off on, on, on that, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think like when you first start reading about it, I was actually only looking at it this morning. Like you know, when you first start reading about it, it seems relatively interesting. You know, like it's, it's 36 teams instead of 32, and it's going to be instead of the eight groups of four that it is at the moment. It'll be just a 36-team league. Um, and then we actually look at how the competition then breaks down. You'll be playing 10 of those teams. So you're not playing all the teams. You're playing 10 random teams. And you'll play five home, five away. You won't necessarily, you know, you won't be playing Real Madrid home and away. You may play them once or you may play them not at all. Um, but it's mad how, like, the it'll be broken down to, like, top eight get into the last 16 and then 9 to 24 I think go down and they basically do a last, a last 32 so they all play so the top 8 of those are seeded against the other 8 and they play like around a 32 two-legged tie against each other it's almost like a wild card weekend in the yeah other. totally it's wild card weekend yeah so like they then play against each other in a two-legged tie to try and get through to the last 16, which obviously then is, is the start of all of the, the two-legged ties. Um, so, like, I find it interesting in the concept, you know, because it's like, oh, that'll be interesting. I haven't really seen that type of 
a format before. Um, but then like me and one of the lads were looking at it this morning and kind of chatting about it. And like, it's mad. You could finish 10th, we'll say, in it. But you could still win the Champions League because you go into this last 32 and then you could just get a good run and, you know, be a good run of form and you could win it. But if you were if you were to go that route, if you finish 9th to 24th and were to win the Champions League, you have to win 19 games. Or not win, you'd have to play 19 games and obviously qualify through them. So it seems mental how how it has how it has evolved over the years where like back when it was the European Cup it was just straight knockout so you, you'd, you could win the Champions League or the European Cup sorry at the time going through only seven or eight games and then obviously it's the Champions League at the moment um so I think all of that I was like okay that's interesting it'll be a cool new way of doing it but then where there's the four spots that you don't have to necessarily qualify that it's these are done on coefficients and you know there'll be a country I think one of the spots is you get in as like the highest qualified team to not have qualified as in the highest placed team to not have qualified but were in last season's Champions League or Europa League basically yeah exactly so Again, yeah, this is why, you know, UEFA coming out so strongly against the Super League is so hypocritical in one way because it's like they're coming out being like, oh, this is such bullshit, like we're surrounded by snakes. And like, what are you like? You're trying to sneak a similar <laughs> concept. There's more venomous snakes than you are. And that's what gets <laughs> them off. That's yeah. genuinely the first time I've heard about the new Champions League format, how it actually works. I, yeah. I, I absolutely hate the new Champions League format. What is the best thing about the Champions League? The knockout stages. Yeah, exactly. Some of the best sports they have them though. every year. They knockout Champions League. But they, they What's the worst bit about the Champions League? The group stages. Right, let's make that longer and more matches. Literally, the way that the Champions League has become is there's one, maybe two good groups every year. And that's it. The rest of them are terrible and are a foregone conclusion. And now they're it's a bigger foregone conclusion. Games. It's, oh. it, I think it, it 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 almost makes it worse in that the chance of a small like could could uh, Slavia Prague were they in the Champions League and drop down? Let's just say they were. I don't know if they were or not. But could they fluke getting out of the group stage? Just about. Just about. Does it? Yeah, really, no, I agree. If yeah. they get if they get if they get a soft draw, if they get a Porto and a or, or one or one, they need one underdog victory, not five. Yeah. But will they get? Will they get out? Will they get top ten in ten games? Come on! Like my view on it is, yeah. The, as another thing, the jeopardy of the teams that are just below the automatic qualifiers. Like I said, if you're if you're thirteenth and you're almost guaranteed a playoff spot, but um, you know, like there's there's three games left and you're four points behind getting into the automatics, you just you might just sack those three games off, knowing that you're gonna be a decent seed to get and get the back door, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing is, uh, yeah, the, the four people that qualify that are hand-selected get fucked with that. Absolutely not. On any circumstance should that be allowed. That if a team, it's, just a, it's just a financial fail-safe. If a team performs that poorly, if Ajax have a nightmare and finish fifth in the air of Divisa, sorry, lads, 
maybe maybe you should have changed your formation in December. No, it's 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 kind of funny though in a way because uh, <clears throat> we spent so long slating the Super League about being like, you know, arseholes for trying to take the big clubs and make their own way of doing things. Like they've suddenly just chucked the rule book out the window and remade the Champions League to have more bigger teams and more games where big teams will play big teams. Basically, as Shane described it, they're expanding the group stage. But it's going to be big teams versus big teams. But because this has been forwarded and completed by an organisation like UEFA, it won't get the backlash. But because the Super League was by club owners in a more selfish act, it got a severe amount of backlash. But imagine if this proposal was put forward by a number of owners that said, we want to make the Champions League group stage, as we call it, a little bit longer so we can have more good teams in it and generate more revenue and rather than play guaranteed, you know, six group games or whatever were guaranteed, how many every you are and that rather than it just being, you know, eight twos that go on to the next round, let's make it fucking even longer than that so we've more chance of getting further and generate more revenue like the yeah. Champions League is meant to be a reward the reward is still there it's just become slightly easier for bigger teams to get it now but it's kind of it's all relative isn't it it's like this is a ter- actually this is a terrible analogy but you know if, you, if, you're, if, you're, <laughs> not, if you're looking if you're looking let's say right you've done something you've done some bad shit and you're looking at 10 years <laughs> in jail right and, 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 and you're thinking 10 years in jail, 10 years in jail. And then all of a sudden, you're, oh, no, hang on, I can get you four years in jail. And you're like, four years in jail? Great, fine, no problem. It, you know, being all relative in the sense that the Super League was your 10 years, this, this isn't, yeah, I'm not a fan of this either. Um, at least it's still open competition. Um, still will be loads of dead games. Still will be the big clubs, absolutely spanking smaller clubs. Can't really control that to a certain extent. Yeah. Oh, bad analogy. Cut that out, will you? <laughs> <laughs> leave it out. That's definitely staying in, Donegal. No, that's the highlight for Instagram. Delete the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> As Zahara said, that's the, the that's highlight the showing up on Instagram on Friday. <laughs> um, What's the snippet? <laughs> 10 years in jail or four years in jail? What do I do with myself? <laughs> <laughs> Good news. Aston Villa won it up after one minute against Yeah. Him. Just to finish up on, on your way for there, I think Shane mentioned earlier that kind of everything over the last 48, 72 hours has made kind of people look at themselves in the mirror. But I really think UEFA, FIFA have to take a huge look at themselves and they have to start. And, and maybe, I don't know, because there's obviously so much wrong with, with football over the last um, number of years. Well, hopefully maybe this might be the start of something better for, for football going forward. Like like Steve Harris said, he was optimistic about it. Um, so hopefully, I don't know whether we, we all shared that sort of view, whether it could be a, a turning point, a, a day in history to, to remember for, for football for, for the better rather than the than the worse. But um, lads, thanks again for, for joining us on the, the Fancy Kickabout podcast. Um, Really, really good chat. Um, hope we were able to get a bit of the, the rants and the, the the vent out of us um, uh, and, the, and the anger over the last couple of days. But um, 
gents we hope to, to catch you soon and, and have you back on again hopefully for for better times brilliant thanks guys. Cheers, guys. It was a pleasure uh,